Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Future of Jewish podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Hoffman. On this episode, I am joined by Rabbi Mitchell Melkis. He has served as head of school at the Charles E. Smith Jewish Day School of Greater Washington, D.C. since 2013. Enjoy my conversation with Rabbi Mitchell Malkus. Rabbi Malkus, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today. Uh, you actually wrote a phenomenal article about Hebrew, Hebrew learning, Hebrew education, which I read and said, I have to, I have to speak with you. Um, so I'm glad we got to do this. But before we get into the whole conversation about Hebrew and Jewish education in general, why don't we start with uh, you telling us who you are, where you're from, sort of your your early life up until where we are today. Josh, it's uh, great to be with you today and, and have a chance to uh, talk a little bit uh, about Judaism and, and the future of Jewish. So thanks for having me. Uh, I grew, so I grew up in uh, Chicago. And uh, interestingly, I, I sort of view my story a little bit as an insider outsider story. Um, that, uh, or, or maybe best described as outsider insider story. So uh, I grew up in a family that had uh, a very uh, strong Jewish identity and, and my parents um, were very proud of their Jewishness and, and really um, viewed the world through a Jewish lens, but were not religiously uh, uh, observant in any way. Uh, and I think really viewed, um, Jewishness as uh, from a cultural dimension. And, uh, you know, they, but they, they engage with the Jewish community. And so they uh, put me in a, a Jewish early childhood program and, and then my brother subsequently. And uh, that experience really led them uh, to uh, enrolling me in a Jewish day school in Chicago. Uh, at the time, the Sager Solomon Schechter Day School, which was in Northbrook, Illinois. I grew up in Skokie. Uh, which was a very Jewish area and obviously famous uh, for the Nazi march or, or proposed Nazi march that never really took place. Uh, and, uh, you know, that they, they were a family that you probably would never have pegged as uh, enrolling their children in a Jewish day school. But that experience turned out to be transformative uh, for our entire family. And uh, my parents got actively involved in the school started volunteering, uh, served on committees, and eventually both uh, were on the board at that school at one point at different times, but were on the board there. And um, through that experience really gained uh, a whole community. So uh, they, they would have said that their closest friends uh, were people that they met through the school. Uh, it started to transform their, their lives Jewishly, um, started to uh, uh, take on more Jewish religious practices, uh, started to attend uh, shul on Shabbat. Um, eventually our home became a kosher home and uh, that experience. And then then also led to a lot of study, um, trips to Israel, involvement in the Jewish Federation in that area. And, and so that was really my early um, childhood. I, I actually went to a public high school uh, there wasn't a, there was an Orthodox option in Chicago at the time, um, and I went to visit, but it didn't seem right. And I was a tennis player, and I really wanted to play tennis in high school, and it was a passion of mine. Uh, so I ended up going to a public high school. 
turns out that they had a super fabulous tennis team. And I, while I played, I wasn't among the best players. And, uh, but it was a great experience. But I, I in that experience at, at the public high school, I really realized that I missed sort of um, uh, a, in a serious Jewish education, even though I was getting an excellent secular education. And um, I think it planted the seeds for the work that I do now in, in uh, leading the Charles E. Smith Jewish Day School in, in Rockville, Maryland. Um, after that, uh, I moved on to college. Uh, I was in the, the joint program between Columbia University and uh, the uh, Jewish Theological Seminary. At the time, I never thought that I would be a rabbi. I had absolutely no interest in it. I was more just interested in learning uh, uh, about being Jewish and Jewish history and, and exploring my Jewish identity. Uh, I did spend a semester at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem, uh, which was, uh, or actually a full year, which was uh, a great experience for me and, and really solidified uh, my bonds uh, with Israel and the people there. Uh, and, and then I, I was actually planning on going into law. Uh, LA Law was a very popular TV show at the time when I was in college and I thought that would be a path. Um, but I ended up taking a year in Israel. Uh, actually, before that, I, I worked at the Religious Action Center, which is part of the reform movement. Um, they're located here in, Los, in, um, in Washington, DC. And they really do social policy lobbying on Capitol Hill. And that was a great experience for me, uh, learning about how uh, Jewish ideas and concepts might inform how the Jewish community works with elected officials in the United States and really trying to translate ideas, Jewish ideas into um, policy uh, in terms of uh, where, where parts of the Jewish community might stand on that. That was a very, even though there were differences in the Jewish community, it was a much less polarized time. And there was a lot more working across the Jewish community um, and across the political parties in the United States. Uh, after that, I spent some time in Israel. I, was, I studied at an Orthodox Yeshiva Bravinders uh, in Efrat and had a great experience there um, going deep into Talmud study. Uh, which which I was passionate about, um, but again, I still was not interested in uh, in Jewish education at that time or uh, in going to rabbinical school. And what eventually happened is I, um, after thinking about Aliyah pretty seriously, I ended up uh, returning to New York. I was planning to go to law school. Uh, I ended up um, in my year in New York. Uh, coming in contact with the Dean of the Rabbinical School at the Jewish Theological Seminary, uh, Rabbi Bill Lebo, uh, who had been a rabbi in Chicago where I grew up. And so I knew him from, from that stage in my life. And he sort of, I think, took it upon himself to say, you know, if you're interested in education, why shouldn't it be Jewish education? If you're interested in Jewish education, you need to have uh, credentials, not just as an educator, but as a rabbi as well. And uh, I think I was young and naive at the time to think about the um, long journey of education that would be involved with that. But I ended up enrolling uh, at the Jewish Theological Seminary in rabbinical school and also uh, pursuing a doctorate in education in a new program they had, uh, a consortium between uh, Columbia University Teachers College and, uh, and JTS, uh, a new school that at the time was founded, the uh, Davidson Graduate School of Jewish Education. And that was really my journey through that period. Um, I actually thought I might go into academia 
and was very interested in that. Um, it turns out that uh, I, when I finished my uh, doctorate, which was on um, the integration of Jewish and general studies in day schools, uh, and was a study of three schools around the United States, uh, I had a job offer to be a professor at Hebrew Union College, uh, or to be a head of school at a, a day school in Los Angeles uh, called the Rabbi Jacob Pressman Academy of Temple Beth Am. And I ended up pursuing the day school. It really felt like it was the right thing. I was passionate about education, uh, applied education. Uh, and I had uh, 12 fabulous years at that school before uh, starting my current position here at the Charles E. Smith Jewish Day School. Amazing, thank you so much for that. Um, I, I, so one of the things that you know you talk, you said that you weren't planning on really ever being a rabbi, and then you became a rabbi. And I'm just curious, what are one or some of the things that you thought entailed in terms of being a rabbi that you've since learned in your time uh, since becoming a rabbi are either not true at all or completely different than what you originally thought? Yeah. Uh, well, and I would say that they they fall into two areas: uh, personal. And, and then professional. Uh, on the, the personal side, uh, I was trying to, I, 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 and I'm sure many rabbis struggle with this, um, was, I, was I worthy of being a rabbi, of being a role model in the Jewish community? Um, would my uh, practice be one that could be a role model for other people? Um, was I committed enough, right? I had, I, I had a lot of questions about Jewish practice, about um, Jewish theology um, about God. And I, I didn't feel like I had settled on those areas. I didn't feel confident enough about where I stood in those areas. Um, and, and I also wondered, I, I mean, very practically, I wondered, uh, you know, who wants to marry a rabbi? You know, who wants to uh, build a life with a rabbi? But um, I think one of the things that became clear to me is, is that at its core, um, Judaism is about asking questions about the world, and it's not necessarily about having the answers. It's not even about being confident about the answers that you have. And so um, I learned to live with that uncertainty for myself uh, and, and say, you know what, I'm, I'm really interested in, in, in this uh, pursuit, and I'm passionate about it, and um, I'm excited about what I might learn. So I, that, that was part of it. The, the second part was I started to real, my conception of uh, a rabbi was very limited uh, at the time. Uh, and it was really about being a synagogue rabbi, right? In a, a traditional kind of setting. And um, once I realized that rabbis were doing work in the community, um, on college campuses, in education, um, you know, in schools, I sort of felt that there was a pathway. I think, you know, schools are a lot about, specifically Jewish schools are a lot about asking good questions. And um, I really, I mean, to me, that's at the heart of Judaism. And that's uh, really what allowed me to think about uh, pursuing uh, being a rabbi, even though it, it felt against the grain personally for myself. And um, I like to believe that that's still something that uh, I think a lot about, you know, what are the questions, um, not necessarily what are the answers. I like that. It's very Jewish in a way <laughs> um, to always be questioning and to constantly be pondering. Um, so I, I, I love that. 
I want to go now into you know this this article that you wrote recently. The title of the article is "The Critical Role Hebrew Language Learning Plays in Identity Development." And in the article, which you wrote by the way for eJewish Philanthropy, for people that want to check it out, um, you know, you talk about basically sort of the um, practical, functional reasons of learning a second language, uh, particularly for American Jews, um, but not only. And um, and also the sort of spiritual, historical, sentimental value of the Hebrew language and how it can connect Jews around the world, Jews to Israel, is Israelis to Jews around the world, which is I think now more than ever terribly important. Um, and then you mentioned that uh, you sort of source a a research paper of, of of sorts, which which I dove into a little bit called uh, Contributions of Second to Last Foreign Language Learning Scholarship to Identify Development in Hebrew Education, which um, was recently published in 2016. So, you know, before we get into the, to the bits and pieces of this, you know, can you give us and, and our listeners a, an idea of what the current construct looks like within Hebrew language learning sort of at the youth education level from your vantage point? Yeah, um, and, and this is, a, deep, is a, a big topic and, and one that I care a lot about and uh, I'm looking forward to exploring it with you. So um, I, I would say that, if, you know, I'm most familiar with the Hebrew language learning landscape in the United States uh, currently. Uh, I do see a lot of differences in uh, different countries outside of Israel of the uh, primacy of Hebrew language learning. Um, and I would say in the United States, it is not given a primary role in, in Jewish education the way it might be in some South American countries um, and some uh, other countries around the world. Um, Why is I, that I in think, your estimation? Uh, well, I, I, I think that, uh, in, to the credit of American Jewry and, and the primacy of English language around the world, uh, we have been able as American Jews to have uh, a substantive Jewish life without Hebrew, meaning we can translate, we've been able to translate Jewish texts into English. And we've, uh, because English is sort of the, the language uh, uh, of choice around the world for diplomacy and for uh, interaction. Um, and, and also because I think in the United States, uh, learning languages is not a priority generally. And so we, we sometimes are uh, a little myopic in terms of looking at things as Americans. Uh, I think that American Jews have adopted that in a certain sense that it's okay to uh, live Jewishly and be deeply committed as a Jew without knowing Hebrew. Uh, and, Do you and so, agree with that? Uh, I, I think that it raises a lot of challenges. Um, historically, uh, I think if you think about communities that have made contributions to um, Jewish history over time and um, to Jewish thought, that often has taken place in Hebrew and has been in um, interaction with, you know, for a long time with traditional Jewish texts. Uh, and so I, I think that it, it, it does raise a lot of questions of um, can American Judaism contribute to the, you know, the history in the long run of um, Jewish philosophy and ideas and, and concepts um, 
without doing so in Hebrew, without at least having a facility in Hebrew. So um, to me, it's, uh, you know, and, and that's central to the article that I wrote is, is that um, actually Hebrew is central to being Jewish. Um, and I would argue even more so in, in the 21st century. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, as, as an American that made Aliyah to Israel, one of the things that immediately I wanted to do was learn Hebrew. Didn't, didn't come to Israel with any Hebrew, well, two words, Shalom and Ipaon. Uh, didn't go to he a, a, a day school growing up in Los Angeles, went to Hebrew school. And so didn't know any Hebrew, uh, but was very motivated because I wanted to, to um, assimilate into the Israeli society and culture. And it, it's also what I found to be a very enjoyable language. I think this, I want to talk to you about this as well, the setting in which you learn it, which, which I know you have spent a lot of time thinking about is critical, right? And I think that's with any language, right? It's it's not the what, it's the, the 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 why, which I think you've painted quite clear for the Jewish community, and then the how, right? The setting in which you learn the language, to me, is make or break. And what I, you know, just to give you some background and the listeners as well, like I've done almost every type of language learning in Israel that there is available. I mean, I started with the free Ulpan, the free Hebrew school that's subsidized by the government when you make Aliyah. That's as you probably know, is a very, you know, I was 24 at the time, but I felt like I was back in third grade because it feels like a third grade, third grade classroom. It's, you know, a bunch of adults sitting around with a whiteboard and a teacher and a, a textbook and a notebook and homework. So that was very, what I would call uh, ineffective. Um, and I think most of my peers would agree with that. Uh, then I hired a private tutor, which for most people that they know in Israel, the private tutors you end up hiring are not real teachers. They're Israelis that want to make a few extra shekels and, and uh, you know, they do teach you some stuff, but they're not quote unquote professional educators. That was better because it was obviously one-on-one, -on -one, but still not transformative. And then uh, there's a new trend in Israel, potentially that you might know about these private ulpans, these private Hebrew schools. And this is, uh, you know, they're, they're private companies, uh, private businesses. And to me, they're, they're phenomenal because they have to provide a great product. Meaning it's, it's, you know, when you go to the government sponsored Hebrew school, you know, you, you just have to go in and go out. They have to check the box that you did your 500 hours. And if you learned something great, if you didn't, oh, well, that's a very nonprofit approach, which I think we see in other places in the Jewish world, sort of lack of, uh, uh, I don't want to say true measurement, but lack of meaningful results. And uh, in the private sector with the Hebrew schools in Israel, literally within two weeks of being in, in, in these classes in this private, this private Hebrew school, not only was I taking leaps and bounds in my Hebrew learning, but I was going on dates now in Hebrew with Israeli girls. Now, to go on a date, a first date with anyone anywhere in the world takes a tremendous amount of confidence, you know, if you don't know them, which, you know, today when you meet on the apps, you don't know them before. To speak a language that you barely know on that first date is, is a whole level. Of, but that to me is the key is like learning a language is two things, right? It's the actual language itself. And then it's the confidence to speak it and to engage with it and so forth. And I found that these private Hebrew schools really gave me that confidence and the actual language itself. That combination was phenomenal. And then from there, it becomes a virtual cycle. You speak more, you learn more, you learn more, you speak more. And, and eventually I became fluent uh, just from a time standpoint so people understand. I mean, I was doing sort of the traditional Hebrew learning in Israel for like the first four years. 
and was like very incrementally growing in my Hebrew. Uh, when I went to this, this private Hebrew school, literally within a few weeks, I probably accomplished more than the first four years. And so that's why I said the context and the setting of, of learning is vital. And I'm just curious, you know, based on what I just said, and also, you know, at your school and, and the experience that you've had in the States, how much of an emphasis are we putting on the setting, on the how of the Hebrew language learning versus potentially the why and the what, which, you know, is the, the outcome, I guess. Right. Uh, well, you know, much of the gist of, of the article that you cited that I wrote in eJewish Philanthropy recently is really about the why, because I think that uh, we have to be really clear about how important uh, learning Hebrew is and having Hebrew as a connective thread in, in Judaism, and I do think for the future of the Jewish people, but I, I think particularly when I think about American uh, Judaism, right? Uh, I think it is essential. So, but on the how piece, in terms of the, the setting, I think that's vital with, uh, from an educational perspective. Um, so, you know, we talked earlier about some of the obstacles uh, to learning Hebrew, maybe in the United States. And, and one is, is that Americans, unlike Europeans, uh, don't see learning uh, multiple languages as essential. Um, and so, uh, Europeans do, and I think that's really important. Um, the case I cited of, of either, you know, of Central America or South American uh, Jewry is such that I think they see it as a connective thread to Israel in a way that American Jews do not. Um, but there, there is a lot of uh, research about learning in immersive settings. And so when, you know, Josh, when you share your background, what you've essentially done is more and more immersed yourself in settings where you had to speak Hebrew. And we used to joke around when I was at Hebrew University, you know, those of my friends who um, uh, had a, 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 a partner uh, who was Israeli, they learned Hebrew a lot uh, quicker than those of us who, who didn't. So, you know, I, I think that that, you know, there's some that truism there, but yeah, there is research about immersive contexts and how often you have to, like how much of your day needs to be spent in, in an immersed environment. Um, by the way, we see this uh, when sometimes uh, American Jews or Jews from outside of Israel who their uh, first language is not Hebrew come and have uh, young children who they put in either a kaitana or in school in Israel. And within 90 days of being in that immersive setting, which actually matches up with the research, um, their Hebrew takes a, a significant leap forward. Uh, at currently, I'll just tell you just as a as another example of how this works, regardless of language, um, uh, because we're my school is located in Washington, D.C., uh, we have many, many uh, families who one or both parents work at the embassy, uh, the Israeli embassy here, and send their children, whose first language is Hebrew, to my school. And I would say at about 90 days, the English kicks in for those students at, at a different place. So context is super important. I want to go back to this, this sort of research paper that you cited. Um, can you just briefly explain to us, you know, you, you cited it from the application of identity development, right? I mean, sort of this idea that Jews who speak Hebrew and know Hebrew 
probably will feel closer to their Jewish identity and certainly to Israel. Can you just, you know, I feel like we kind of glossed over that. I want to go back to that for a second. Can you just sort of break that apart for us a little bit more? Uh, yes. Um, and, and so I also want to just start here with the personal and then connect it to the research. So uh, when I've lived in Israel and, and I've been fortunate to have uh, three times uh, to, to live in Israel for a year or, or more at a time, uh, one of the ways I connected uh, with Israeli society but felt really connected in Israel was through Hebrew, uh, uh, reading uh, Hebrew newspapers, uh, listening to music, uh, listening to the news, wanting to make sure I understood Israel from the perspective of a Hebrew speaker, not in English, because you certainly can get around Israel these days with just English. Uh, and and I remember, like you know, listening to the words. Uh, you know, this will date me a little bit, but uh, uh, Shlomo Artzi or Eud Benai, you know, listening to their songs. But I still today, you know, love uh, Israeli music. And one of the ways I've learned Hebrew is through the lyrics of of songs, and it's connected me uh, to Israeli society. But there's also a deep resonance because I do also connect um, religiously when I see Hebrew, and that has resonance from when I've studied Torah or in synagogue or wherever it might be to see that as a living language. So, you know, that's where I got interested in this. I haven't done the primary research myself, but there's starting to be. So one of the things that I'm fortunate is I've been involved uh, with an organization called the Collaborative for Applied Studies in Jewish Education, KASG. And uh, KASG is uh, had Hebrew language learning as a focus for a while. Um, and uh, the paper that I cited was a paper commissioned by KASG, but there's been some research within KASG and then beyond uh, around this notion of uh, what, if anything, does uh, language learning generally contribute to identity? And, and then trying to also look at specifically Hebrew. Uh, and, and so there, there is starting to emerge an evidence base which says that you know, your identity is, is shaped um, in language learning. And I think in Hebrew specifically, um, because of there's, we have, because now we're fortunate to live at a time where there is a thriving um, uh, Jewish state in Israel, where Hebrew language is a living language and is developing over time, uh, that there also is the connection, not just to a religious identity, but to a national identity to a certain extent. And so um, that, that's, you know, that needs to be explored more in the research, but it, it is very clear that language learning contributes to identity development. And um, I think particularly in Judaism, where I, I, I sort of view Judaism through a Kaplanian lens, uh, you know, Judaism as civilization, and it has many aspects to it. But Hebrew seems to be a connective thread through many of those areas, right? So um, I think that Hebrew language learning has particular resonance in terms of identity development. By the way, there is a, a, a piece this, is it also an obstacle? Um, because for American Jews, so they may have some um, uncertainty about their Judaism or where does it fit in their lives. And so sometimes there might be a pushback if they have a negative connotation around Judaism, around learning Hebrew and its value. 
By the way, I just want to, for the, for the listeners that don't know what you mean by Kapolani and uh, Mordechai Kaplan, who wrote the book, uh, Judaism as a Civilization, I think back in like 1934 or something. So that's one of the hallmark pieces really in the last few centuries uh, of terms of Jewish text. So, uh, and I agree with you. I mean, yeah, I, I want to go and dig into this piece about American Jews, because I'm an American Jew that made Aliyah. And today I feel a lot more Israeli than I do feel American Jew. Um, and I think I'm, you know, it's only going in the Israeli direction from, from here on out. Um, at the same time, I'm very passionate about trying to um, not just help the American Jews, but sort of serve the Jews around the world. And we know that the second biggest population today of Jews is in the United States. Potentially, it could uh, overcome Israel as, as number one within the next few years, depending on how certain demographics work out. But I feel, so I feel this affinity to American Jews for obvious reasons, but I also feel this deep frustration. Um, and I'm trying to understand, um, you know, American Jews, as, as you sort of have illustrated through this conversation about Hebrew, are sort of like, in many ways doing, I don't want to say the opposite, but things quite differently than Jews around the world outside of the United States. Uh, and you can say the same thing about Israelis, by the way, that Israelis do things differently than, than Jews around the world. But I feel that because of the sheer size of the population of Jews in the United States, and of course, the financial and political power that they hold, which seems to only be getting you know, bigger and bigger. And I think one can make the argument that actually U.S. Jews have more financial and political power today than Israeli Jews. But we can, we can say it's either one or two. Um, I, I, I'm, I feel that, you know, the, the American Jews are sort of, I mean, it's very American, it's very isolationist in a way that they're sort of peeling off from the rest of the Jewish world. And the Hebrew aspect seems to me a microcosm of that. I'm just curious, you, as a being a fellow American Jew yourself, how you react or respond to that level of analysis. Yeah. Um, so as I think I've, I've responded to a lot of this, I also feel like I do need to start with the personal, which is, is for me, Israel plays a central role in my identity as a Jew uh, and my connection to Israel um, is super strong. Um, and I also believe as an educator that uh, being Jewish in the 21st century also involves a relationship with Israel, must involve for Jews who live outside of the land of Israel. Um, but it, there are a lot of questions right now. Um, and right now, uh, one of the big things that I see and a question for me is, is that um, how do uh, Israeli Jews and American Jews um, relate to each other, better understand each other? How, where, where might there be convergences? And, and where, is there, where are there differences um, that uh, stand in the way of, of Jewish peoplehood. And, um, you know, things that concern me are that, uh, you know, there, there is some debate around this, but um, from my vantage point, uh, there are a lot of studies that show that uh, American Jews, uh, as they get uh, the younger and younger cohorts, have um, less of a connection and understanding about the significance uh, and importance of Israel uh, in, in to the Jewish people. 
And at the same time, uh, there are studies in Israel uh, that Israeli Jews don't understand why um, Jews who live outside of Israel are so important to them and what role they should play. And so um, I really do believe that, as you, as you kind of mentioned, there's an Israeliness that's emerged, right? Which is it is is grounded in in Judaism, right? But is also distinct uh, from from Judaism. And um, you know, I I don't know that there is enough serious conversation taking place between uh, American Jews and Israeli Jews. Uh, about Jewish peoplehood and our relationship and connection. I think, as you mentioned, those are the centers of the Jewish world these days. And, you know, throughout Zionist thought, there's always been this question around the diaspora, if we want to bill it that way, and Israel, what's central or not central. Um, I think throughout Jewish history, there have been centers of uh, the Jewish community outside of the land of Israel. Um, but I also really feel that. Um, in, in, in the 21st century, Israel as a, uh, a, a central place in the Jewish world, um, as a place where Jews are trying to live out uh, our aspirations, right, as, as a people and are making decisions and have the power to make decisions for ourselves, um, which comes with challenges. Um, that to me, that experiment is central to being a Jew today, whether or not you live in, in, in Israel or, or not. But, but what's interesting, I mean, you said it yourself, especially the younger folks uh, are, are, don't believe what you and I clearly believe. And I think a lot of other Jews believe around the world, including in the United States. But, but there's just something to me, and, and I don't know if it's because US Jews are maybe a little bit ahead of the curve compared to sort of Jews around the world. I mean, that's what a lot of people have told me. Um, I'm just trying to understand, like, you know, Daniel Levinson, I don't know if you know who that is from the organization Judaism Unbound, you know, we had this conversation a few episodes ago, where he's, you know, I said loud and clear, Israel is the Jewish capital of the world. And that, that's not a debate. That's not an opinion. That's, that's a fact. Um, a social fact, we can call it. Uh, and he said, you, uh, U.S. Jews are just not there. And I'm just trying to understand, like, there, there seems to be a hubris and a cockiness among certain American Jews that, you know, they are who they are and American Jews are strong and independent and, and it feels like it just feels very unfortunate and bizarre and I would even say irresponsible. Um, and, 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 and I don't, I'm not just talking about at the individual level. I mean, you start to see now some organizations and some synagogues, potentially day schools as well, that are really dis distancing themselves from Israel. And so it's, you know, top to bottom and it's bottom to top. And, and again, I'm just trying, I'm just coming from a place of trying to understand more than anything so that we can, yeah. once we can really identify some of the issues, then maybe we can come up with solutions. Do you have any thoughts about that? Uh, I, I do, and I think about them uh, a, a lot, uh, particularly in the context of education. Uh, and, and so again, I have a lot of more questions than I have about answers uh, around this. So, um, you know, I, one of the things that I've seen is, is that since its founding, um, Israel has um, become a stronger and uh, wealthier country uh, and uh, has 
not needed uh, American Jews the way that it did both at its founding and throughout some of the really challenging periods of, of war with its neighbors. Uh, and uh, we need to move into a more mature type of relationship between American Jewry and Israeli Jewry and um, have some really honest conversations around these things. Um, you know, I, I, I see sort of a, a, a need for a mutual relationship here. Right. Um, but by the way, I think that there's much, if I also look at it um, as a rabbi uh, and look at the development of decentralized uh, Judaism in the United States um, and a pluralistic view of Judaism, that's been a tremendously positive uh, development in the United States from my perspective, and which I think could be a contribution to Israel, that um, Israeli Jews, uh, could see that there are ways of being Jewish that might be attractive to them. Uh, and I, I, I've seen this in some of the programs that I've been involved in in the schools that, that I've worked in. Uh, you know, the Jewish agency and some of the federations in the United States have been central to developing partnerships um, and, you know, between uh, American Jews and Israeli Jews. So, you know, we were talking earlier before we started just about how you're from Los Angeles and I spent a significant amount of time in Los Angeles as well. There's a great partnership between the Jewish community in Los Angeles and, uh, the, and Tel Aviv uh, in, in a whole host of areas, in cultural areas, um, in, in education as well. And, and what I saw is, is in through exchange programs and relationships, um, Jews in Los Angeles um, showed Israeli Jews who were secular in outlook, how potentially uh, things like Kabbalah Shabbat or Shabbat generally could be things that they could integrate into their lives without feeling, um, you know, it's referred to in Israel as kviata datit, like the, you know, the sort of coercion to be involved in it, but that it could freely be something that people choose um, in their identity um, and, and seen as a really positive way. And I also think, uh, uh, on the other end, uh, American Jews, we're seeing a surge in anti-Semitism now in the United States. And, um, you know, these are, 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 are issues that I'd say historically Jews have faced um, for a long time. But American Jews have gone through a period of uh, acceptance in the United States, you know, by American society unparalleled in, in, in Jewish history. And um, I often think about this a little bit. Um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was Supreme Court Justice in the United States, um, was Jewish, but it was not central to her role. Like, whereas um, when Louis Brandeis was uh, appointed to the court, there was a, a big deal about a Jew being on the court, right? And, um, and uh, you know, other Jewish justices as well. But for her, I think that that wasn't central to the narrative out there about it. But if you ever heard her speak, she would say that her Jewishness was central to um, who she was. It was just so accepted in the United States at the time. And, and now I think a lot of us are, are facing that a society looks different in the United States. And so what role does Israel play? in sort of supporting American Jewish identity in a certain way. And then to bring us back, I think, to the central question here is, 
I do think Hebrew could play a central role. Um, I, I think about, you know, my model is there are these uh, La Laisse Francaise schools all over the world that the French government supports those schools because they see through learning French. And, and when you learn a language, you learn about the culture and, and the history, right? It connects people who speak French outside of France to France. Well, I think there's much deeper connection between Jews who live outside of Israel and Israel than someone who's a French speaker to France. Uh, and so many roles, you know, especially because, as I, I said, I really view Judaism as a civilization and having so many different aspects to it. Um, Hebrew is, is not by nature religious in any way. So um, Jews who are, are not religious or are find religion problematic can connect through Hebrew, but, but Jews who are religious can as well. And so I wonder about what are ways that Israel can promote Hebrew language learning outside of Israel, particularly in the United States that could be supportive of American Jewry, develop relationships and connections with Israel and start to have this conversation about how these two centers of Judaism are very different, but yet how we're connected and we, we need each other. Just a few things there, because you, know, you said a lot of really nice gems. You talked about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her Jewishness. I saw a quote just yesterday. I don't even know if this is a true story, but for the sake of, of example, let's say it is, I guess Henry Kissinger said to Golda Meir back in the 70s, Golda, you have to remember first, I'm an American, second, I'm the Secretary of State, and third, I'm a Jew. And Golda said back to Henry, Henry, I think you forgot that in Israel we read from right to left. So <laughs> I just brought, I thought that was funny. And, um, and, and, and I, I want to go back to your comment before we move on to the, to the latter part of the interview. I just want to go back to your comment about, you know, you said we have to change the relationship between maybe Israel and American Jews. I agree. It feels like it used to be a very big brother, little brother relationship. Now it should be more peer to peer, eye to eye. Um, you said that we should also start having hard conversations. And I'm just curious if you can give us one or two examples of what some of those conversations should be. Um, so some of those conversations are, um, you know, if Israel is the, the home of the Jewish people, right? Uh, and Israel by, from its founding has always seen uh, the support and protection of Jews outside of Israel as central to who it is. Um, then I believe that whoever is, uh, you know, in political power in Israel needs to have that um, as part of their understanding of what it means to lead the Jewish people, not just to uh, lead the state of Israel. And so um, it becomes problematic for American Jews um, when uh, the vast majority of whom are not Orthodox right, see a negation of their religious identity um, and religious practices in um, the way that the Israeli government operates or the way the Rabbanut operates. And so questions around who is a Jew uh, are really significant. So things become, when, when um, and it almost feels, I think uh, some American Jews would make the case to say, it almost feels like they take 
the vast majority of American Jews for granted. We can um, not give access to prayer spaces at the Kotel to the vast majority of American Jews, right? Because of internal Israeli politics or society. And um, so that, that's a question that I think is really important about working out some of these personal status questions. Um, the second area is, look, we're all aware of the polarization that exists um, now within the Jewish community in the United States around um, uh, their support for Israeli government policy. Uh, and so um, those are questions that are really important. You know, so you understand this, um, Israelis uh, serve in the army and have to put their lives on the line for the state of Israel uh, and uh, have to live with the consequences of both the policies, but also of um, inaction in certain areas, right? And so um, American Jews don't have that. Uh, and so th that's where I think some uh, anava or some humility on our part, on, on the part of American Jews is really important. And yet I still believe that American Jews should have a voice. Um, and, um, but how do we have that conversation in a way that feels productive, that um, no one is labeling who's pro-Israel and who's not pro-Israel? Um, and, you know, so I think those are serious conversations um, that I'd love to see. I also think, look, Israel struggles with a whole host of, is of issues that are also struggles in the United States. So income inequality um, that we have, um, racism, uh, how do you how do you integrate from many people who have immigrated to Israel uh, to a shared society, right? And and that vision and that's a, a central question in the United States as well, right? As a nation of immigrants, how how do, how do you fashion uh, a, a society, a shared society? And and that's a struggle that's going on in the uh, 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 in the United States right now. Uh, for a definition of, of what is American society and right and um, who's central, who's not central to that, um, how is it integrated, is it not integrated, right? So there are a lot of issues that I, I see in common, but those are serious issues that could be discussed between American Jews and I I Israeli Jews in a way that could strengthen us as a people. Mitch, this has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk, Josh.